This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Hello, hello. There we go. Good morning. Let's all stand together as people join us online all over the world. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And hope that you are enjoying the worship service. I'll tell you about our offering if you're inclined to give, and I certainly hope that you are. <laughs> uh, certainly, if you're a member of this church, uh, you can use the envelopes on the back of the seats in front of you if you're going to give cash or check, and you can put it in the offering bucket on the way out. Many give online, have signed up for recurrent giving. It just happens automatically. Really helpful to us in terms of our budgeting and stuff, so if you would consider that. Or you can use your phone and use the app and give that way. I, I do that. I just like giving every Sunday, pushing buttons. So uh, you can check all that out. Uh, be faithful. Uh, as you continue to be faithful, God will bless you and watch over you. Amen. Yesterday I was, uh, where was I? I was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I was at a big conference uh, called Be Bold for Jesus. And the uh, main speaker was Tim Tebow, which is kind of cool. And anyway, when I got up there Friday night, they're opening up the back walls and stuff like that and setting up chairs going crazy. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. They said, yeah, you outsold Tim Tebow. <laughs> yes, yes. Sadly, he's still more famous and has more money. But you know, it is what it is. You just got to roll with it. So uh, it's all good. Hey, come here, sunshine. She's a girl. Look at these shoes. See? Where's the shot? Where's the shot? There they are. These are Mark Gunger kind of shoes. Awesome. I had to show everybody. Okay, you can go back down. <laughs> and she's almost getting as fancy as I am. All right. Uh, uh, this morning, we have a special guest speaker. I'm very excited about it. Just blew it away in the first service. You're going to love it. Uh, Pastor Corey Demmel is from Florida, South Florida. And uh, we were at his church earlier this year. And uh, I said, man, we just connected. I said, what? You need to come up here and preach in Green Bay. And he says, well, yeah, but can you do it during a Packer game? So I may or may not have secured tickets for the Packer game. And uh, so we're going to. So 
uh, right after his message, we're leaving. So, not to be disrespectful, but we got to go. Uh, we were here for the whole first service, but the second service, we're going to cut out a little early as Pastor Phil will take over at communion time and wrap up the service. Anyway, would you please welcome our, my new good friend, Pastor Corey Demmel. Thanks, boss. Hello, hey, how are you guys doing today? It's great to be here with you. Uh, I'm so delighted, and uh, I was joking with Mark because, you know, in ministry, you do different things in conferences, and, you know, it's always like, ah, we should have you come speak sometime, and you hear that a lot, and sometimes they have you come speak, and then sometimes they don't, and, uh, but Mark's like, hey, when are you going to come speak? I'm like, yeah, let's, that's awesome. Let's uh, wait till the NFL schedule comes out and make it happen, uh, so um, I am, I'm actually pastoring an amazing church in Florida. I am so blessed with my team and my church, but I'm not from Florida. I've only been there for four years. I'm actually from the Midwest. I'm a Nebraska boy. Uh, spent about 16 years in Omaha. And so it's so great to be back in the Midwest with what I would call my people, hardworking people who just like, I miss fall. I miss colors. Um, Florida's really nice in the winter, but it always looks the same. So uh, it's great to be with you. And I'm a total sports junkie, total football junkie. And to go to Lambeau today is such an awesome, it'll be a spiritual experience in a different way. (laughs) So um, I'm going to make sure I'm on time because we have kickoffs at one. So, uh, but hey, what's that? Kickoffs at noon? Oh, it's at one in Florida. We got to go. All right. Uh, <laughs> for all of you who are joining us online, wherever you're at around the world, it's, it's really my honor to be with you guys. And I want to talk about something that I see happening uh, uh, around kind of our world right now. And it really is a tale kind of as old as time. You know, tale as old as time. It, it really is. And, uh, and, 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 and in order to kind of bring this to light, I want to let you know on a research, a sociology research project, that was done with elementary school boys to kind of help me tell this story. And so uh, not that long ago, um, they were researching the dynamics of social groupings and and separation. And so they put 16 boys out on a playground and it was a really cool playground. They had slides and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, and they just let them go play soccer balls. And they said, just go play, hang out. And so the the boys apparently look like Dorito chips at, at the beginning of this. And um, they, they were having a great time. And about halfway through the experiment, they pulled the boys back, said, all right, come back. And they decided that they were going to divide the boys into two groups. Half and half, they were going to make uh, one group over here, one group over there. And they went from Doritos to X's and O's. It was phenomenal how it happened. Um, but they gave each group an, an assignment, group A over here, eight boys, and group B. And what they did is they, unknown to the other boys, they chose a leader from each group uh, as kind of the leader of that group. And so group A, we're going to call him Adam. And then group B, we'll call him Brad, Adam and Brad for group A and B. Um, And so what they said is now that you guys are in groups, we're just going to throw you back out into the playground, continue the monkey bars and the slides and run around and tag and, and soccer and all that. And the boys were having a great time. What the other boys didn't know is that before Adam and Brad went back out into the, the playground, they, by the, the, the guys who were doing this project, they pulled them aside and they gave both Adam and Brad $100 each. So Adam and Brad got $100 and they only had two rules. Number one, they couldn't keep it. And then number two, they couldn't give it to one another. So like Adam couldn't give Brad his hundred and Brad give Adam like, let's go, you know? So they just had to go give it away and, and they just, and they wanted to see how this would play out. And so they went back to the playground and at the end of the time, Adam had given all of his hundred dollars away and Brad had given his hundred dollars away and they called the boys back together. Uh, and so what do you think happened to their hundred dollars? Adam, un, 
without any sort of incentivization, any sort of motivation, Adam gave every single dollar to one of the boys in his group, group A, and Brad gave every single one of his dollars to one of the boys or all of the boys in his group, group B. Now, the, 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 the people who were doing the sociology experiment actually had layers of plans where they thought they were going to have to add competition, add antagonism, add incentivization to try to get this like us versus them. But what, they were remar- what was remarkable to them was the minute these boys identified as our group A and our group B, they kind of huddled and played in those groups. And Adam felt like he was only allowed or was only going to take care of what he saw as my people. And Brad was going to take care of my people. And so we see this uh, throughout our, our, our world. We see this happening. But we, what it brought to life is how quickly, how easily it is in our human nature that we are just naturally side takers. It is in our human DNA and our brokenness that we uh, have something in us that we choose to identify, and, and it's not always a bad thing, but it can have some negative repercussions if we're not careful. As we as human beings are definitely side takers, and we have defined all kinds of different lines in which we take sides. In, in us versus them, we can be side takers when it comes to religion. We can be side takers when it comes to economics. We definitely can be side takers when it comes to politics. We can be side takers when it comes to ethnicity or culture. We take sides on everything. And I would, I would maybe propose to us today that two of the most powerful words in our language are the words us and them, especially if we would dare call ourselves a Christian or a follower of Jesus, because Jesus had a very different way of dealing with the us versus them other side type of conversation than anybody else up to that point in history ever had. And here's the challenge with side taking, and we see this everywhere. You guys tell me if you see this maybe anywhere in our world today. If someone is in my group or on my side, I will tend to magnify their good qualities and I will overlook their negative qualities, won't I? However, if you are on the other side, if you are on their group, I will actually scrutinize and magnify your negative qualities, and I will often overlook or pretend there's nothing good about you. Now, I don't know if you've turned the TV on or been on social media lately, but I feel like that's happening all over the place, right? I look at each member, and here's what else is crazy. I look at each member of us as our own unique individual, right? But I look at them as everybody is all the same over there. Isn't this what we're doing? Isn't this what we see? And we, have, we see this all over the place in society. There's all kinds of us and them. As I mentioned, I'm a Nebraska boy. We grew up with two things, Jesus and Nebraska football, college football. Uh, and so for me, the us and them growing up was Nebraska versus Oklahoma. Like that was our rival. It was like us and it was them. And then it was Colorado and now it's Iowa because we can't make up our minds. Uh, you see this with, in sports. You see the Yankees and the Red Sox, right? Like I was at game three on Monday of the, of the, in Fenway in Boston and we were playing the Houston Astros, the Red Sox versus the Astros, the Red Sox versus the Astros. In the third inning, this chant comes out of all the bleachers, Yankees suck, Yankees suck. I'm like, we're not playing the Yankees. True story. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've been to games in Fenway, but I'd never seen that. You see this with Michigan, Ohio State. You see this with, oh, I don't know, the Packers and the, the Bears. In fact, 
Your boy made national news putting your whole team on blast with this us versus them last week. Rodgers snaps it quick. Pressure coming. Scrambles to his right. Pumps and runs. Aaron Rodgers is inside the pylon. Touchdown Packers. It's Rodgers running for the score. Right on cue, Joe. That is a grown man about my age looking at a bunch of strangers going, I still own you! I own you! It's us versus them. In fact, there was a great Hall of Fame quarterback that played for the Packers. His name was uh, Brett Favre. And you guys sang his praises and he brought you the promised land. And then one day he became a Viking. See, you still have issues with it. Do you have counselors in this church? That's it. And all of a sudden, uh, Favre, in all of his glory, we forgot all the good things he did. And the minute he put that purple jersey on, we started digging out all the stuff we overlooked when he was one of us, and he was a Viking, and I think you're mostly over it for the most part now. Okay, you are. Oh, that's good, because we could have to stop and pray about that if we needed to. But my point is, we see this all over the place. It's us versus them. We see it in companies, Coke versus Pepsis. We see it in Nike versus Adidas, uh, the, the much superior Apple versus the far less superior Android. Uh, it is what it is. I don't know why you would choose an Android. I just don't understand. Uh, but again, there will be prayer at the end during communion. Uh, we see it with Republican versus Democrat. We see it with mask versus unmasked, vaccine versus vaccine. We have become a culture and a society that we are more known by what divides us than what unites us. And we have to be really, really careful of this. But there's some really good news. This is not a new idea. This has been going on for generations. In fact, it's been going on from the beginning of the time. And Jesus, our, our, our model, our hero, our, our savior, our rabbi, he dealt with this very issue and we can take notes from him. And I believe Jesus addressed this with one of the most revolutionary, one of the most uh, kind of controversial things he had ever preached, but he actually didn't preach it with his words. He did it with his story of what he did, where, and when. And so if you're reading the words of the Bible, you're not going to see it. Uh, you have to kind of follow what he's doing. And in our church, we often talk about that uh, in order to know the words of the Bible, you got to know the world of the Bible. Uh, and, and, and so we aren't just interested in what the Bible says, but we want to know what the Bible means. Because if I don't know what it means, I'll actually make it say whatever I want it to say, even if that's not what it means. Are we preaching? Okay. So, so I want to take you to a little bit of history, and I want to give you the there and then, because over four chapters, and some good homework would be to read the book Mark chapter 4 through Mark chapter 8, and pay attention to where he is and what he's doing, because there's something that Jesus does that's kind of remarkable to me. There's really only one miracle that he ever kind of does the same way twice. Have you ever noticed this? He's always doing something new, but there was one thing he did that was kind of the same thing, and it wasn't until recently I understood why, because he was sending a far greater message. So let's talk about there and then. Somebody say there and then. The story goes all the way back to Genesis when God told a man named Abraham, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I want to bless you, so, not so that you would be elite, but so that you would actually be a blessing to everybody else in the world. And through you, I'm going to bless you, and all the world will know that you follow me, and you can, and you can treat people differently than everybody else does. That was the mark and the promise in the, of Abraham. It's actually also the mission of the church. I want to bless you so that you can bless other people, and you're going to treat people so differently than everybody else does that the world's going to go, I want to have something to do with your God, 
right? That's what, that's what we're about. And so this goes all the way back. And so it took a lot of years, a couple thousand years for that to actually happen, where they move into this promised land, the land of blessing and establishment. And that happened in the land of Judah and Israel. So I'm going to put a map up. And this is the, this is the area Jesus did ministry in the area Jesus grew up in. And in orange, or whatever color that is, brown, orange, and green, that's Judah and Israel. That represents the promised land. That is the promise. That is uh, freedom. That is hope. That is the, the city of Jerusalem, the house of God. That is the temple. It is where God lives. Over there on the right side, you see those other kingdoms, Ammon tribes, Moab, Damascus. Those represent what we'll call the other side. That's them. That represents the land of Canaan that they had to drive out. That's uh, the trip from Egypt. That's slavery. That's bondage. That's the past. That's uh, uh, connected to a history of 40 years of waiting. That's them. They don't believe like we believe. They don't live like we live. They do things so much differently. So we just stay on our side. And what's really fascinating about this is if you see those, the, the, the two seas, you got the Jordan River, the Lake Tiberias, and the Dead Sea, there's literally a dividing line geographically among where Jesus lived and did ministry. You have two seas and a river that goes all the way down, and Jesus spent the majority of his time and his ministry on his side with his people over on the left side. And, and I'll tell you, if you read the book of Mark, by Mark chapter four, Jesus is crushing it. I mean, he is knocking it out of the park. He's healing people. He's speaking like no one's ever spoken. He's loving like no one's ever loved. People who weren't even like Jesus, liked Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus. They'd never heard him teach before. They'd never, they'd never seen anything like Jesus. And he is like, got this crowd going on. I mean, he's basically kicking butt, taking names and, 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 and really doing a good job. And then in Mark 4, he has this crazy idea. And if you were one of the disciples, and if you don't know this, the disciples were all teenage boys, except for Peter, he's like 20. They were all teenage boys. Uh, he has an idea that probably the disciples thought at the time was the worst idea Jesus had ever had. And the idea was that Jesus was doing all of this stuff and the, the crowd's pressing against him. So he gets in a boat to teach so he can speak to more people, maybe like this. And he finishes the day, and in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says this to the disciples. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Somebody say the other side. The other side. This is the point where the disciples would have been like, Jesus has lost his mind. People on our side don't go to that side. People on that side don't come to our side. We don't live the same. We don't believe the same. We don't act the same. They have more foreign gods. And so if you're a disciple, you're thinking one of two things. You're thinking, this is the worst idea Jesus ever happened. Or you're thinking military takeover. Because in that time in history, the only time somebody with power, with influence, with authority would go into a foreign territory was literally to command and conquer. It was to flex on them. It was to flex everything you had, bring your troops with you and go, we're about to expand our territory. That, in that time in history, that's the only two reasons. And so the disciples are either thinking, this is stupid, or... Let's go. It's about to go down. We're going to go take our land back. Let's like expand our territory. And Jesus had a whole nother third option that completely blew them away. And so they go back, they go to the other side. And as the boat gets on the other side, kind of known as Decapolis, the 10 cities, something happens in Jesus's ministry that has never happened before. Because everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds. People were like, heal me, talk to me, teach me. He did he, the way he interacted and gave dignity to women and children was profound and, and, and unheard of in those days, uh, who he included. And so people were pressing against him. And then he goes to the other side and this crazy thing happens. You know what happened? Nobody was waiting for him. He landed, he got out of the boat and no one cared. 
which when you read it, you're like, man, why didn't they care? Well, now that you know what I just told you, now you know. Why in the world would they want to have anything to do with a rabbi from the other side? He didn't belong over there. What's he doing here? What's his business? In fact, there was one person who did come to meet him, and he was the craziest person of the outsiders. It was a demon-possessed man that was so crazy that even the outsiders are like, yeah, you have to go outside, bud. Like, that was the deal. He was frothing at the mouth. He was crazy, and his only welcoming party is this crazy man And Jesus does for him, the other group, the other side, the Republican, the Democrat, the bear, the packer, pick one, the black person, the the white person, the Hispanic person. He does the same thing for him he's been doing for his own people. He's like, hey, why don't I just set you free from this demon and heal you and you can have the life I have for you. So he sets these demons free. It's crazy. You got to read the whole thing. The demons go into these pigs, which there's symbolism in that. They run off a cliff into the water. There's symbolism in that. And all of a sudden, it's crazy, and and word gets around really quick that this other powerful man from the other side has come, and he's done something to, like, bless us? What is that all about? And this crazy man now is, like, in his right mind. He went back and told people, and they're like, you got to see this. And what's crazy is um, their response to Jesus. Because you would think if the worst, most vile, terrible person in your community got healed, set free, and became, like, a really good human, would you really care who did it or what they did? You'd want, we'd want to know more. And so you would think the town would be like, sir, thank you so much. I can't tell you. Like, can we pay for your, your towing bill for the boat or whatever? Like, how, what can we do? No, no, no. Here's their response. Watch in Mark chapter five, because it spans over four chapters. It says, as, as they approached Jesus, it says, they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Can you imagine? Hey, listen, we appreciate it, but you got to go, bud. Like, you don't belong here. You ain't one of us. You don't vote like me. You don't talk like me. You don't like my music. You have different gods. Listen, crazy man, little less crazy. We'll give you that. But just go. Please leave. Could you imagine? Why? Because he was on their side. He was on the other side. And so now, of course, the demon-possessed man responds in a way that you would expect if you have any sort of logical common sense. It says, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus did not let him. Well, that's kind of mean. What's Jesus doing? It says, but he said, rather, go home to your own people. Look at the language even Jesus uses. He's distinguishing that we aren't the same, you and I. You go tell them. Tell them what? Tell them I'm coming for them? No. You tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. You tell them that the, that, 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 that the rumors they're hearing about me on the other side, it's not just for me and my people. I actually came for every human person on the planet. It came, it, I came for your side as well. I want you to go tell them that God loves you. He's got a plan for you. It doesn't matter how bad you've been and how crazy you are. I have more of what you need. And if you will give me an opportunity, I will move in your life and I have exactly what you've been looking for. And so the man is like, all right, because see, Jesus knew what was about to happen in Mark 6, 7, and 8. So he goes, you go tell them, and that's exactly what he did. What Jesus knew that he didn't know is, I'll be back in like three weeks. And that's because that's how this story goes, spoiler alert. So I'm going to give you Mark 6 and 7 really quick. Mark 6, what happens? Jesus goes back to his side. He's healing it. He's crushing it. Jesus, Jesus. Comes to a point where all of a sudden there's 5,000 men, about 18 to 20,000 people, and they're loving Jesus. And Jesus goes, hey, disciples, um, they've been listening to me for a long time. There's no food like you feed them. They're like, uh, run that by us one more time. It's like, feed them. 
Like we only have a couple loaves and fish. And so Jesus does this miracle on his side for his people. And he takes the 5,000. And if you know the story, he breaks the bread, he breaks the fish, he blesses it. And it says at the end of it, that there was more food than everybody could eat. Everybody ate until they were full. In fact, there was so much left over. There were 12 basketfuls. And that 12 basketfuls has significance because the original origins of, of, of Judea, Judah and Israel was started with how many tribes? 12. Jesus was sending a message that I am the God of more than enough. I not only will provide for you, provide your needs, I will go above and beyond. There will be enough left over that no matter, watch this, no matter what background or tribe you came from, I came for you and I have more than enough for you. Come on. That's exciting. I, I love that about Jesus. And so it's this amazing, it's this amazing, really cool thing. And there was only one boy who was smart enough to share his lunch with Jesus, which is awesome. And so he does that, and, and so we see that, and it's like, so Jesus is back on his side, or Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then in Mark 7, he says the same thing to the boys, Mark 6 and 7. He goes, hey guys, what do you say we get in the boat and we go back to the other side? You gotta be kidding me. Like, if you're a disciple, you're like, we already did this once. It was super weird and awkward. We barely escaped with our lives. The crazy guy almost killed us. Then the pig thing happened, and they asked us, Jesus, do you remember when they asked us, just go? We were like, yes, sir. Jesus, come on. Did you hear him? Let's go. Like, we already did that. I've seen that movie. He's like, why we got to go back? Because this time it was about to be super different. See, this time when Jesus went to the other side, there wasn't a crazy person waiting for them. There was a guy who used to be a crazy person who now has a testimony who told everybody about what the Lord had done for them. And when the minute they saw that boat coming, they're like, he's coming back. Let's go see what he has for us. And the crowd of them was waiting for the most powerful man on their side. And you know what Jesus did? He spent days with them. He taught them. He healed them. He spoke like no one had ever spoke. He loved like no one had ever loved. He healed like no one had ever healed. He brought the same blessing, the same favoritism, the same ministry, the same love that he came for his side, he gave it to the bears. <laughs> he gave it to the Democrats, the Republicans, wherever you are on that. We're in Wisconsin, so you're, you're probably, there should be both in here. <laughs> Where I live in my little corner, we have one kind. Uh, we need a little more diversity. And so in Mark 7, 31, it says Jesus goes back to Decapolis. And again, if you're reading the Bible, you're like, I don't know what these mean. Well, get out a map and watch it. And it's pretty remarkable, the journey he takes. In, in verse 31, it says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. So now they're back on the other side and the disciples are like, you gotta be kidding me. And guess what happens next? In all this healing, in all this love, in all this sharing and teaching and teaching them the best possible way to live. They'd been together for three days, it says in Mark chapter seven. And so uh, in Mark chapter eight. And so uh, Jesus says, hey guys, um, we've been together a long time. They got to be starving. Why don't you feed them? And they're like, this again? Come on. Like, so one dude from the other side, like, well, I happen to have a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. I don't know if you've ever done anything with something like this. <laughs> Seriously. So he takes a few more fish and loaves and he breaks it. And guess what happens? It's the only miracle he does the same way. He breaks it and blesses it. And there's more than enough. And he feeds, it says, everybody ate. In fact, uh, if you read it right here, it says Mark chapter eight, verse eight, it says the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
Jesus did the exact same miracle in the enemy's camp, in the enemy's territory, on the enemy's turf, on them. But Jesus, did you know how they vote? Did you see what they put on Facebook? Do you know what team they cheer for? Have you seen how they talk to their kids? Why did you do that? Because Jesus came for everybody, not just Corey's favorite people. Jesus loves everybody, not just my favorite people. Because remember, it's the same Jesus who on a different time said, hey guys, by the way, this is how the world will know you belong to me, for which side of the aisle you vote on. Oh no, he didn't say that. Uh, no, he said, this is how you, they'll know uh, for what team you cheer for. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, this is how the world will know you're one of mine. The way that you extravagantly love people that are even different than you. It'll be so markable, marked, dif- it'll be such a remarkable difference in the way you treat people than the way the world treats people that people will start to ask questions about, what's your deal? What's, what's, that? what's that all about? Because you, why did you have lunch? I just sat with one of your House of Representatives last night at dinner, and he was talking about how one of, he's a Republican, one of his good friends is a Democrat, and every time they go out to dinner, people are like, what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we're having dinner. <laughs> well, yeah, but he's a Republican. Yeah, I know that. We see each other all the time. Well, he's a Democrat. Well, yeah, I know, I see that all the time. Like, what's the deal? He's like, well, we might not agree on everything, but we can still treat each other like decent human beings, and we have more in common than we don't, and I choose to honor and respect him, not because of who he is, but because of what my God says about how I'm to live. What are we doing? Why is that newsworthy? And this is what Jesus does is he feeds it over. But here's what's really interesting. It always bugged me because the first time there were 12 baskets left over, but I just read it to you. How many baskets were left over this time? Seven. You know what's really interesting? If you go back to the words in Genesis or even in Joshua, the original, the original uh, mission was, well, I'm gonna drive out the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites. And there's a, you know how many tribes of Canaan there were originally? Seven. Just like there were 12 original tribes of Israel, there were seven original tribes of them, those guys, of Canaan. And Jesus sends the, this controversial, revolutionary, kind of in our face message that I didn't come to take sides. I'm on the human side. Every single one of these creations is one of my children. And then he invites us to be a part of that with him. That's our mission. This is our, this is our savior. And so, uh, so he, he packs it up and here's, what's really fascinating. And I'll close with this idea. Here's, what's really, really fascinating is they, they pack it up. They give the seven baskets and this crazy thing happens. The disciples are like, okay, Jesus, this was awesome. But can we please go home? Like, this is weird. It's, I feel like it's like being at the crazy uncle and aunt's house or whatever. You know, it's like the cousins, like how many more days do we have to do this? Like the disciples are starting to feel that way. And like, can we just go back? Can we please just go back? Um, and so, uh, so this really weird thing happens where they get on the boat and <laughs> they're hungry. And Jesus is like, what do you mean you're hungry? I just freaking did a miracle. And they're like, yeah, about that. Like we didn't bring any leftovers with us because see, here's what happened. The human disciples, they still didn't get it. They didn't want to associate with the leftovers of the other side. So they only brought one piece of bread with them. In fact, watch what it says in Mark chapter eight, verse 14. It says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them. And Jesus says this, verse 15. He says, be careful, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and watch out for the yeast of Herod. See, the disciples still didn't get it. They didn't want to have anything to do with the other side. And God's like, how do you, what do you mean you didn't eat? I made enough for everybody. It, it shouldn't matter what side of the river we did this on or who, who we fed. Like this is, I came to feed everybody. And when Jesus said these two things, he was predicting and projecting then and even now, what are two of the greatest distractions and two of the things that will discourage and distract 
and divide us from actually being on the mission of Jesus, of following Jesus, which is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And the neighbor, according to Jesus, is the one who couldn't be more different than me, not the one who couldn't be more similar to me. And he says, be careful of the yeast of Herod and the yeast of the Pharisees. And you know what he meant when he said that? When he said the yeast of Pharisees, he actually, the interpretation of that is you need to be careful of religion. He said, he was telling his disciples, religion, religious order, the power and the elitism that comes with it will be, will be a huge distraction from being a follower of Jesus. That's why I love your video. You say, we're about a relationship, not religion. Did you know when the church first came out in the Acts church in the first century, they were actually called atheists because they had, they, they had so little religious activity around it other than just love your neighbor and take care of people that they said like, you have no religion. And what was meant to be a dig was actually one of the greatest encouragements to the early church, that we don't have a religion, we just follow the master. So he says religion. And then when he says the yeast of Herod, you know what he's referring to? Politics. Our savior, 2,000 years ago, said, hey, if you're not careful, religion and politics will absolutely get you sucked into these arguments and division and hatred and vitriol, and they will keep you from doing the main thing, which is love me and love them. Love me and love them. We can get so sucked in. I was just having a conversation with somebody after the service that almost every question asked by the media or social media is literally meant to put you on a side. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we, I'm not saying politics don't matter. Please do not hear me say that. We need men and women of God in politics. I'm not saying that there's, not, there, there's no place for religion, that we shouldn't do communion and we shouldn't do the Apostles' Creed. No, we should. We need, we need some of those things. What I'm saying is, what Jesus said is, if we are not careful, we're going to get so amped up and wrapped up and distracted by this, vote this way, live this way, religion, politics, that we're going to actually mix, miss Jesus in, in what he's actually all about. Be careful. And then Jesus goes to his other side. And by the way, if you follow this story all the way through, you could make a really compelling case, this would make a great Easter message, Mark, that what cost Jesus his life was his own people were so mad that he included the outsiders. That's really what cost him his life. His own people were like, well, if everybody's all the same, then kill him. We want a revolutionary. We want the power. We want the economy. Jesus' people were the ones that turned on him, not Rome. So Jesus came and said, I did not come for any other side. I came for the human side. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says it this way. I'll leave you with this. This is a, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the first sermon Jesus ever preached. He said this. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? That's what we're being told right now. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies. What? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when you do that, you will actually be children of your father in heaven. Because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward is that to you? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even pagan people do that. Love your enemy, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who use you. This is the message of Jesus, and this is the invitation for us. How do we, how do we continue to follow Jesus in this crazy society? I believe we take Jesus at his word, and we remember the fact that Jesus didn't come to be on sides. He's on the human side. So behind every vote and behind every argument is a human being with dignity and bears the image of their creator. And if we could remember that in the way that we approach them and treat them and speak to them, maybe, just maybe, we could get an unbelieving world to go, what's so different about you? And tell me more about your God. That's the message. That's the message and the mission of the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, close with this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're a Christian, here's my question. 
Is there an outsider? Is there a their side over there on them in your life that maybe God this weekend is putting on your heart to bless, pray for, or make amends with? Is there somewhere? Is there somewhere you've said, oh, they, sent, they post too much stuff on Facebook. They vote this way. They whatever, yada, yada, yada. Maybe God's not saying cancel them. Maybe he's saying pray for them, bless them, and wish for the best in them. And what, see what that does for your heart and see what that does for them. Is there somebody on the other side that you need to treat the way Jesus did? If you are not a follower of Jesus, in a minute we're gonna close this and I, I wanna just say this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, like man, you're just, I've never heard anything like this, but I'm on the outside. Let me just tell you that that was never Jesus' intent. You were never made to feel outside of a religion that was unattainable. Jesus left heaven to come to earth to pay the price for every mistake you could ever make. And, and all you have to do is accept that free gift and, and say, I wanna live for you. And he wants you to go from the outside to the inside. And as a pastor and a Christian, if there are other pastors or Christians that have made you feel like you don't have what it takes or you don't belong, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And I'm confident if Jesus was standing on this side, he would say, there's plenty of room for you. And I've already covered all your mistakes. And so we'd love to invite you into the kingdom this weekend, if that's you. So let me pray before the Packers kick off. Jesus, I thank you for your life, your words. I thank you that you not only gave us the words of life, but you lived every bit of it and you were our example. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take this word in our heart. If there is people, if there are individuals in our life that we have put on the other side, we've branded them and, and we've kind of canceled them out, God, we repent and we say, God, would you work on our heart? Would we be better at uh, loving others than we are at criticizing and judging? Um, God, I thank you that you didn't cancel us out when we disagreed with you. And so we should not be the type of people to cancel other people when they disagree with us. And God, if there's anybody here who has never known your love, your grace, and the absolute freedom that comes from loving and serving and turning their life over to you, I pray that today they would enter into your kingdom and they would experience your love uh, as you welcome them with open arms. Thank you for this incredible church. Continue the work that you're doing here. Bless this ministry. Bless the, the staff, the volunteers. Uh, God, and continue to use celebration to be a light in this amazing community of Green Bay. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.